HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com, bringing you the freshest radio in Brooklyn since 2009. Hear directly from chefs to farmers, artists to architects, authors to brewers, and everyone in between. Check out all of our shows on our website or by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great tasting, high quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway honey today. Welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with the dynamic duo of the Perennial Plate, Daniel Klein and Mira Fine. How's it going? Well, that rhymes really well. Was that, in- was that intentional? <laughs> it was. I was specifically looking for a girl to date who yeah. was last name. <laughs> if you don't know the Perennial Plate, it is a weekly video series of uh, good food around the country. I mean, that's the most conflated uh, description I can give. It's a lot more than that. Um, (laughs) But we'll kind of start a background first and then move into what you guys are priorly doing, touring around the nation. Yeah. Um, Danny actually used to work here in Brooklyn, Applewood Restaurant. Applewood, indeed. But prior to that, Minnesota, born and raised. Not born and raised, just born. Just born. Yeah. Never raised, just wild. (laughs) Exactly. In the boundary waters, raised raised by wolves. Yeah. No, I grew up I grew up abroad, but I was um, I I lived in Minnesota till I was four, and I left. And and so when I was trying to figure out where to go after New York, I I went back to my 
roots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and abroad, why and where? Um, my parents, they wanted, uh, they found a job in, in England, so I grew up in England. Excellent. And yeah. then, we'll fast forward, childhood, be damned. Um, <laughs> cooking, though. Here in Brooklyn, Applewood, was that after you went to school? Or yeah, so I, I, my my mom has a bed and breakfast in England. Um, she's an amazing cook, and she teaches cooking classes. You so. can plug her. What's her name? Where is that? <laughs> her name's Shayla, <laughs> and Burvale House is the name of it. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh, if you're ever in England in Surrey, it's a lovely place to stay. Um, but anyway, so she she instilled in me, uh, you know, cooking knowledge and the the sort of um, cook with what you have mentality. And um, so I went to college, went to NYU, which is why I ended up in in, uh, in New York. I didn't study film, didn't study cooking. Um, but uh, What did you study? I studied, I was in Gallatin, which is like the, you know, you can study whatever the heck yeah, you want. Yeah. I was like social movements in Latin America in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always embarrassed when I say that. I mean, it's a cool thing to study, but it's sort of like lengthy and you know, obtuse. Yeah, you could acronym. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so after after college, I um, I went and made a documentary um, with my brothers called "What Are We Doing Here?" Where we traveled from Cairo to Cape Town across Africa, looking at um, food aid and sort of the often negative impact of sort of humanitarian aid, um, and came back to Brooklyn to edit it and. Um, started uh working again in restaurants and um my first job was at bouchon in new york in in manhattan um and so i was kind of like editing making movies while learning to cook and cooking at these these different restaurants so i sort of for a number of years was straddling the two yeah and that included my time at applewood which was which was awesome um I left other restaurants to to go work there because they you know they they every week they bring in a whole cow and goat sheep um, and and butcher it so I got to learn how to do that which was really a really fantastic experience yeah but um, you added to your international repertoire in cooking at uh, the Fat Duck Hessen Blumenthal's right. restaurants uh, St John or St John uh, Fergus Henderson's restaurant um, right. At Mugaritz with uh, Andoni uh, Druiz, and how, how did you get into those uh, establishments? Well, um, the Fat Duck was a was a stage, um, and so you can just go there. I mean, you have to apply, and I have uh, British uh, dual citizenship, so working is a non-issue in Europe, which is really helpful. Um, so, and also after working at a um, Thomas Keller restaurant, it op- you know it opens up doors, so you're people give you a degree of of respect that maybe um because they've heard of the restaurant you know so it's like oh he worked there so it's fine you know he can come and and try it out here um and that was that was a that was really a break from editing that that what are we doing here that africa documentary was like we had 350 hours of this film (laughs) cutting it down to 80 minutes and it was just like the most challenging thing that i that i'd ever done and so it was like all right, I got to stop. So we stopped working for a year on the project, um, and I went to Europe and did that, and then and then came back and finished that movie. Yeah, well, I'm glad you brought a professional in to help you with all the video and editing in Mirror Fine. 
who actually has a background uh, in video more so than Daniel? No. No, just none. graphic design and marketing. and Yeah. Yeah. So why did you guys take on this venture? I mean, did you have a specific food interest before? Or No, I just love junk food. <laughs> really, I love junk food, and I, like unabashedly. And he was the first person who made me feel really badly about it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's nice. I was, yeah. Ju- I was judgmental. Yeah, what, what specific junk food? I loved, I had this dish which was Campbell's minestrone soup with Uncle Ben's white rice and Kraft Parmesan cheese. Wait, did you just say, I have this dish? Like, this was a recipe of yours you gave out to friends? Um, it's a recipe that I do when he goes out of town. Yeah. <laughs> I go out and get that in like a Coke and a romantic comedy. And yeah. It's the best weekends of my life. Yeah. Um, but like Kraft Parmesan cheese, I would go through, you know, a container every yeah. two weeks. You know, I was serious, seriously devoted to that. Yeah. I mean, I spent most of my college career also cooking as such, even though I was in restaurants of higher acclaim than my own. Um, it's not a bad thing. At least you're combining can with cheese and rice. So it feels like more <laughs> of a recipe. But then you two met, and there was this... It's uh, amazing connection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He actually said that he normally only dates like activists or people who, you know, are not big junk food eaters. So yeah. I, don't know, I feel kind of good about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at where you are now, too. He's taking <laughs> yes. you so far away from the junk food that you're traveling around the nation looking for good food. That's jumping ahead a little to what the perennial plate is, but we might as well. That's why you guys are here. You are actually on tour right now. Yeah, we're filming in New York City this week, yeah. um, and we also were doing events around the country um, to showcase some of the stories from the road. So we did a dinner on Sunday night at Prune, um, which was fantastic. It was really awesome to work with Gabrielle Hamilton, who's just a badass. Yeah, I had to swear in some way because I know we're allowed to swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not FCC regular. <laughs> Drop them. You can even make up new uh, curse <laughs> words if you like. But Gabrielle Hamilton, Prune in East Village, was there a specific theme to the menu, or was it just to be able to work with her? Yeah, there was a theme. I mean, I think working at that restaurant was was very cool because um, what we try to convey in the videos that we make is sort of um, a human and vulnerable connection where and where we're not manufacturing anything. It's very honest and real to like what those people are. Um, and I think that restaurant is ver- is very unique in that it's a representation of who Gabrielle is. It's not no one else's food. It's, you know, it's her food. Um, and so we, thankfully she, she watched the videos and, and loved them. And so we collaborated on a menu to incorporate the ideas, her aesthetic with the aesthetic of the films, as well as my own, um, n- need to use ingredients that were very specifically from the New York area. Yeah. So what was on the menu? Excuse me. Um, we had, um, Let's see. The main course was deep fried porgy um, with uh, heirloom tomatoes and oregano. Um, that was coming from a video we did where we had deep fried catfish, and instead of catfish, we used yeah. porgy. Um, we had pig um, grilled pig's heart with um, green tomatoes and cucumbers and pumpkin seed oil. We had we had this amazing dish from um, that was inspired by our episode in um, New Orleans on a Vietnamese shrimp fisherman boat and it was oysters or one oyster and then ceviche ceviche and then um a packet like a tinfoil packet with with shrimp in it you know full-on yeah. shrimp that we just threw on the burner and so we just put it on the table with you know whole shrimp so people could open it up and take it apart and yeah. get, get the smell coming off you know and 
of the shrimp cooked in but its own I love juices. that you use your episodes as inspiration for the menu, too. I mean, that recall really uh, speaks a lot, I think, of the influence that the subjects and sites you've seen, uh, you know, right. made and on you. And otherwise, yeah. it would have, I mean, it would have been, I'm sure the food would have been delicious, but it adds another element when you yeah. can, like, you know, draw from other sensory, you know, from the videos that people have seen, because a lot of people who are coming have seen many of the films. Yeah. Or if they haven't, they were bringing someone who, ha- you know, who had, and, and so people could talk about the relationship. And, and then I talked and got to express that as well. Yeah. So. so the beginnings of these films actually weren't part of a national tour. You spent a year in Minnesota making weekly videos. Uh, how stifling was it being in one place <laughs> for so long? That was that was great, and I think it was really like a a blessing. I think if someone had had been making weekly videos about sustainable food in California, people have been like, whatever, <laughs> yeah, you know, of course, it's always sustainable. <laughs> I mean, it's all everything's grown there, but because we we're in Minnesota and it's a challenge, um, it added, and because people don't know much, they're like, ah, this is Minnesota, middle yeah, of the wild country. rice, right? Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, corn. Yeah, and we didn't know much, you know, so now it makes us look at Minneapolis differently. Like, it's this wide array of all these possibilities in food yeah. that we yeah. didn't realize. So know? what were you doing at the time in Minnesota? You were both working as well as, you know, photographing, edi- editing, making these videos? Um, yeah, so I, well, I moved to Minnesota thinking of maybe opening a restaurant. Yeah. Decided against that um, and was sort of doing searching and thinking of, like, how to incorporate the things that I wanted to do, which is sort of to make an influence like be an activist for for food or you know change things um con- continue in my like filmmaking development as well as cook yeah um, so i was like all right let's create this thing you know and um and it was going to be a pilot for a tv show and i for anyone who's like tried to pitch a pilot or ma- made a documentary or done anything like that the time between when you create it and ever seeing it come into fruition can be years you know it's a really frustrating experience um and even when you do especially with documentary films it's it may never reach the kind of audience that you hope it would um so with the internet you know it's out the next the next day the next week um it's very immediate and there's the opportunity for you know all types of folks just to watch it for free so instead of doing the the pilot we did that um and you know, I don't know why I decided that a year would be a good amount of time to do it for and that I should do it every week was sort of insane. <laughs> um, but, you know, once once we started and had people support, then it was, there was no stopping it. Yeah. So the transition from Minnesota to take it on the road, what was the impetus for that? Um, because we finished the year. Yeah. And we were like, okay. We didn't want to stop, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We were having a lot of fun, um, and people were watching it and interested in it, and so it was like, you know, what's the next step? We'd done, you know, you could tell infinite stories about individuals doing great things in Minnesota. You know, there's so many farms, so many people who are um, worth spending time with, uh, but to to continue the growth and progression of it, I think we needed to, to develop it and do something a little different. Yeah, so what was show one of season two? Um, it was us leaving. Yeah. It showed us leaving, and then it showed us going to Iowa to a um, this amazing farm called Radiance Dairy where this guy has you know tons of cows and lets them live out their lives and finds a way to let them retire so that they're not killed after 
they're done, you know, creating market quality amounts of milk. And, 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 uh, it's sort of funny because we had, um, made these videos in Minnesota and we'd go to a farm and then come back and cook in, in our kitchen. Um, and then we were on the road and it was like, Oh shit, we don't have a kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this sort of funny scene in the, in the car where we're making a, um, I made a violet lassi yogurt from the farm. And we, of course, you know, sound is always an issue. So we had to turn off the air conditioning. It's like a hundred degrees outside. And we're like sweating in there making this yogurt drink. It was really delicious, but it was sort of, uh, and you know, like plugging my hand blender into the radio. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also love in episode one, right when you get started, you're packing the car and trying to figure out what to take. And you were pseudo adamant about taking a pasta maker. (laughs) (laughs) just the things that you think you're going to need on the road right yeah we actually when we came back uh we did a loop of the west coast and back to minnesota for we did an event in minnesota and we tried to take some time off um and part of that was also dropping off all the stuff that we never touched which included a big box of books that i had brought (laughs) Uh, our bikes. Mirror shaking their heads. Because right when now. I packed it, I was like, "Really? <laughs> yeah. You're gonna read all those humongous, like hardcover books? Yeah. When are you gonna read them? Cookbooks like, are not the most to. transportable things, which I'm assuming no. they were. There was a mixture, but yeah, some yeah. of them were cookbooks. Yeah. Um, they were all cookbooks. Yeah. <laughs> they were all cookbooks. And uh, and our bikes, which we didn't, we were hoping we'd get to use. And we yeah. Didn't really. So, yeah, we thought we would have time for stuff. And we don't because we're, it's really, it's wonderful. We're having like the best time ever and it's incredible to meet all these people, but it's very challenging to put out a, an episode, to travel, to have an event, to film and to organize the next leg of the trip all in a week. Yeah. Speaking of organization, um, you were talking about the internet and putting it on there so more people can see, um, two part. How do you plot out your route, and how has Twitter and Facebook helped you guys find subjects and places to hold events? Um, initially, we plotted out the route by deciding when the weather would be the best. <laughs> but we, we didn't account for hurricanes yeah. or like flooding or earthquakes for that yeah, matter here in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the hurricane on the the East Coast kind of messed us up a little bit schedule wise. But so we really had to just sit down and see um, by weeks like where we thought we would be each week and then when we know we're going to be then we start looking for stories or we get you know we're on um the huffington post so we asked for a call for stories and got hundreds and hundreds of people sending stories to us and then when we're going to be there maybe like a two or three weeks ahead of time we'll start looking at that at that location and finding something we had been planning further out but we found a lot of stuff falling through so we decided to do it slight more immediate um so but but getting story ideas in social media has been pretty effective yeah um in a lot of ways first off that database that we developed on our website is incredibly useful um and then when we're really when things fall through that's when we reach out for the twitter and facebook yeah and like you know we're you know we're in montana this guy canceled on us like who knows a grass-fed beef you know um well, we that we did do that in Montana yeah. on Facebook, um, and we ended up at this most beautiful place because we were looking to do it in a beautiful place because there's a lot about grass-fed beef, but Montana's you know the most striking and gorgeous place in the world, if, you know, and so we wanted to combine those two together. Yeah, we were in Seattle and we had um, a gooey duck, 
and we need to find a place to cook it. But my, we were staying with my family who keeps kosher, so we couldn't do it there. Yeah. Um, and then my friend hates shellfish, and I didn't want to like make her apartment smell. So we just went on Facebook and said, who has a house and a kitchen and will let us come over? And someone did. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. We're actually going to take a quick break and come back actually to the gooey duck. Uh, your travels there, digging with uh, Hank Shaw and at uh, the restaurant Herb Farm. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with the rhyming couple, Daniel Klein and Mira Fine, of The Perennial Plate. Um, That's alliteration in there, too, so rhyming and then alliteration. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I was much better at math than English, so all <laughs> those things uh, follow me. Um, we were just talking about gooey duck, and I was also excited that you pronounced it prior to me, because I usually say geoduck at first, just phonetically seeing it spelled out um but what was so cool that episode which was in and around seattle am i mm-hmm. correct um had a whole bunch of different parts to it the the first was hank shaw who if you don't people know um, and we're also trying to get him on the show eventually is is an amazing forager um and it's even that much more so and you went digging for sea beans with him mm-hmm. um and then later went uh well is it considered hunting or finding digging. duck? Digging. Digging. Yeah. yeah. That's the real activity. Yeah. Well, first you got to find it and then you got to dig for it. Yeah. Well, but, you had to dig by hand too eventually. Yeah. Because yeah. someone broke. Someone broke the <laughs> shovel. No, but okay. So in the video of the gooey duck, yeah. um, that was actually the second t- second hole we had dug. The first one, the tide had come in and we hadn't, yeah. it, it was way, way down and we it was a huge one. So they were really excited about it, but we never got to it. Yeah. And you were doing that with... Uh, Langdon Cook. With Langdon Cook, who's also a forager and writer. Yeah. And then eventually, uh, hooking up with Herb Farm, a wonderful five-diamond restaurant, I think, out in Seattle. Yeah. Um, with their chef, Chris Weber. Right. And we made salt with him. But even cooler than that was the um, the owner of Herb Farm gave us a taste of a wine from 1795, a Madeira. That was cool. Yeah. For Mira's birthday. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad little gift. It was a really yeah. good one. But 
what I love though is uh, talk about amalgamating. You know, your loves. You amalgamated your episode into a final recipe, which you cooked at somebody's home who you had never met, that you had met through social media, incorporating all the things of that day from sea beans to gooey duck. Well, it wasn't. That's the. This is the joy of editing. Yeah, <laughs> that was filmed over a month period. Yeah, um, one of them with Hank Shaw is in. Um, the Bay Area in Bodega Bay. Gotcha. And then um, the other two were up in Seattle. Yeah. And we, you know, we combined the episodes together because, well, they were, they had similarities and it would have been difficult for, we didn't want to give people one sea foraging followed by another sea foraging followed by another. So we kind of yeah put them together. But I mean, I think, I mean, that, that's great in the sense that you show all these common threads and you show all these analogous, you know, people and features and figures and you know, modes and methods uh, happening around the nation that nothing seems so, uh, you know, foreign in a sense. Right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Um, but I mean, from foraging up in the Pacific Northwest to uh, you've already mentioned uh, fishing down in New Orleans with a Vietnamese man looking for shrimp. Yeah, we have it awesome because we don't have to do we we don't have to do what anyone wants except for what what we want. You know, um, the show is completely independent. So, and there isn't even a formula that we have to follow. You know, if you if you have a show on television, there's a set. You know, it has to follow these breaks and this theme. Ours can be three minutes long. It can be fifteen minutes long. It can you know be a montage or it can be just an interview. We can really do yeah. what we want, and so. It's a it it gives a chance for um, us to show the characters how they really are, as opposed to trying to manipulate them into the story that we wanted to fit, or as opposed to making it just like local or sustainable. You know, we can also go catfish noodling, yeah, and show like what people do because that's what they've learned growing up, and it's you know, adventurous. Yeah, there's the you know? the, the adventurous cat. Yeah, can we can we talk about cash, catfish noodling? <laughs> I don't know if I saw that episode because I think, uh, you know, I went through as many episodes as possible in the last couple of days. It's a um, good one. Yeah. It's oh, yeah, really yeah. good. You should see that one. Yeah. What goes on? Where is it? So <laughs> it's in, it's um, Backwoods, Mississippi, in like right outside a really tiny town called Liberty. Oh, is that the Lord, Lord, Lord one? No, no that's, that? New that's New Orleans. Okay. But this one, so catfish noodlers are really um, secretive about where they noodle, if you will. <laughs> So, I, w- I would be too if I was noodling. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to go on a fishing forum, Mississippi fishing forum, and just keep on putting out messages saying, will someone take us out? And finally, this woman who um, lost her leg to a snake bite um, called us and was like, yep, we'll take you. And so we went in the backwoods, Mississippi, and they took us out. We showed up at these people's house, and they were they were really wonderful people, but it was really in the middle of nowhere, nowhere yeah. and they had a lot, a lot of guns, and they had confederate flags and um a huge table just filled with that was a you know cement and then bud light tops covered it you know <laughs> yeah like thousands of <laughs> which yeah. they proudly brought us over to to show us it was cool yeah. i mean i think i did that in college as well yeah yeah but they weren't in college no <laughs> <laughs> but they were really we've actually we, were, we still communicate with a lot of the people that on the road and Mira gets text messages every uh few days from them saying like love the episode or yeah whatever not usually it's like hey girl <laughs> it's really bad yeah <laughs> well that's awesome um frog hunting in arkansas feral pigs in texas diving for sea urchins gleaning in healdsburg california i mean 
so many awesome things that you've got to experience because of this. But have you found any to be harder than you thought? Or were there things that you walked into, oh, saying, I know how to dive for sea urchin, and it was completely opposite of what you assumed? Well, um, as far as the sea urchin, I mean, I, don't, I didn't know how to dive for sea urchin, but um, I, had a, I had a perspective about sea urchin and its taste, um, and that I found to be interesting and worth trying, um, but not something that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but eating it out of the shell was unbelievable it was like a real perspective changing experience on that and how incredibly delicious it it can be um but that wasn't hard that was just great you know i think the feral pig hunt was really hard like draining and emotionally hard and it was i think it was the only time where i kind of i called my mom and i was like i don't know if i can do this yeah this was in texas and it's it's not necessarily for sport or a game. Like they they are a menace down there, aren't right. they? Right, they're yeah. killed, you know, in helicopters with machine guns. You know, they're they're trying to wipe wipe yeah. wipe out the species. And how big are these boar? Well, they can, I mean, I, they can be hundreds of pounds. Um, the ones that the one that we um, cooked was probably eighty pounds, something like that, seventy pounds. Um, it was a decent size, but. Um, because it was for the show and because we wanted to, you know, respect the animal, we really, we tried to use everything. Usually you skin wild boar um, because there's so much hair. And if you don't skin it, then you boil it, you know, you to blanch the hair off yeah. of it. But the, the person who we were doing this with, who's also become a friend of ours, um, Niles, he thought he had this, uh, he, he basically couldn't find the stove to, to blanch it. Yeah. So we had had to burn off the hair, and it's like the worst job in the world. And the smell of burning hair. Oh gosh. Yeah. And you, it it stays on you for a long time. For yeah. Days. <laughs> you have that kind of like burnt pig hair smell. Were there any other wonderful <laughs> olfactory <laughs> moments in the show itself? There was a moment of silence there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just I, I thought I smelled burning hair for a second. Yeah. I had to check. Um, I don't think so. Were there? Mm. You know, another surprise taste was the how delicious that the gooey duck is. Actually, it's a really—I mean, it's a delicacy in it, but it's so strange looking. Yeah, well, it's—it's it's, if people walk around Chinatown, it's that thing that the foot, right, that comes out of it, but it looks like right. a giant wiener. Yeah, coming out of <laughs> exactly. a large, oversized clamshell. Um, but it, yeah, it was so windy that day. There would have been a lot more. Um, jokes yeah heard if the microphone wasn't like totally blown out plus like i was far you know i was hiding behind the other film crew so i could only get like really inappropriate shots of it where it just yeah i I put it up on facebook and my sister wrote and was like really mira and i was like jenny you should have seen the other one and i sent her the other picture and she was like okay yeah Yeah, it was tough yeah (laughs) um you have recipes for some of these things on your website as well yeah and people can recreate those experiences, but they can also participate in offering you an idea or a place to have an event or have a meal. Um, you're here in New York right now having taped through. Where are you going to next, and are you looking for ideas? Are you looking for you know, uh, specific things? We are still looking for ideas. We're headed, we're headed down um, to Florida for the winter, um, <laughs> and uh, we have lots of ideas along the way, but 
there's still lots of gaps all from New York down to Florida and we we are looking for ideas we are not looking people are like oh they're always telling us about a great CSA or a great urban garden and what we look for is really about um, the people behind the story Um, so we love for folks to give ideas but like there's got to be a story or something a little different besides just like growing great organic vegetables, which is totally awesome. And it's amazing that all those stories are out there, but um, there needs to be something that can draw people in and make them want to watch. Can I bring up one, which I didn't think was as much food related, but was absolutely charming. And um, I see why you want to have a whole documentary about the stone twins. (laughs) Sure. That's one of my favorite episodes. Um, You're in Utah. And what are these ruins that they kind of live in and amongst the, Anasazi ruins um, down in this this valley in Utah. They um, basically you walk out their their front door and you can pick up shards of pottery. It's incredible. And it's one, all over their farm. Yeah, and it's in there. They're still farming and and picking them out. Um, it's not like they're like plowing through like a you know burial ground. In fact, they're very lucky that they're not on a burial ground. Otherwise, then they would act, they would have to move uh, yeah. their farm. But one of the guys is... You can't tell. What? Were you going to say why they're down there? No. Okay. Yeah. We have to tell you off air. There are secrets. There yeah. are secrets. Yeah. There's like yeah. huge secrets. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Watch the episode. It seems very secretive to really? me. Yeah. Okay. Seems and like very Area 51-esque. Yeah. 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 Well, we, we got um, taken out at night with uh, night vision goggles. And one of the guys was like, within your lifetime it'll come out that Area 51 is the reason for this technology. Yeah. <laughs> also, they love <laughs> Yanni. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember That's they were it. talking about their Yanni collection. They talked about it the whole time. And at <laughs> night, we they would have us watch Yanni concerts. It was great. Um, it, and it wasn't... Yeah, it didn't... They were late in the season, so that's why there wasn't a lot of um, food growing yet. Yeah. But it was really funny because they were like these guys who had, um, you know, 10 years worth of food in their cave, yet they were like, had never cooked. So they didn't know how to cook for themselves. <laughs> so we, we went and their kitchen was a mess. So they didn't want me to cook in there. So we kind of like, we had, we had some, some sandwiches that we had bought earlier in the day. And like the first night we ended up sitting around eating these sandwiches Yeah, and they were, they had like all this freeze dried food too. And they wanted to. We're like, why do you guys have all that food? You know. <laughs> yeah, but you ended up having elk steaks or something. Right, we did have elk steaks, and I saw you spicing up the elk steaks because I don't want to know what their flavor profiles were. Well, no, I was using their their pantry. Yeah, yeah their. I think I just put salt and pepper. Yeah, on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the the steak was good, but yeah. you know, it was funny. It was a great. That's. There's been several moments on the trip where we're just like, wow, we're, you know, in it. And this is like really a unique, awesome experience to be meeting folks that we would just never in our day to day life have that sort of interaction with. Yeah. You know? Like those are the types of stories we're looking for. You know, <laughs> exactly. yeah. really like not, not really? crazy, not people who are like necessarily conspiracy like, theorists, but yeah. folks who have, uh, you know, yeah. Like have. a really interesting, interesting story regarding food. And another thing I just want to point out is that people also send us, um, story ideas that are like restaurants, um, which we're not going to want to do an episode on a restaurant. It's just, is not as like visually, um, appealing. Usually, we'll so cook at the restaurants. Yeah. We'll do events yeah. at restaurants, which has been really fun to do. Um, but not an episode around the restaurant, usually. Yeah. So if anyone out there has these wonderful humanistic 
stories around food, please contact the Perennial Plate. And the website is perennialplate.com. The Perennial Plate. The Perennial Plate.com. I think you get Perennial I'll Plate link links there. Yeah. yeah. Um, those, yeah, humanistic things because we, you know, drawing, I feel like the way to um, help us make better decisions when we end up at the grocery store is like to be having that relationship with our farmers or producers. Yeah. And it's hard. Not everyone can like take the time to go out to the farm or whatever, but by trying to capture like the moments of humanity and vulnerability in characters, then maybe you, you know, have more of a relationship. Yeah. So watch your perennial plate so you can meet these people and hopefully one day visit uh, the Stone Twins in Utah. <laughs> they give tours. Yeah. They do give tours. Daniel, Mir, thank you so much for being on. I can't wait to see where you go next. Maybe international next year? Could be. Yeah. Excellent. Never know. <laughs> You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkill. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Go. following is a message from the Climate Reality Project. Join us on September 14th to the 15th for 24 Hours of Reality, a presentation delivered in locations around the world sponsored by former U.S. Vice President Al Gore. View the live stream at climaterealityproject.org. Go to our website, tell your friends, join our watch party, and help others learn about what can change in a day. Again, that's climaterealityproject.org. This is a message from Fork and Anchor. Aaron Fitzpatrick, the host of our wine program, Unfiltered, is looking for help on Kickstarter to open Fork and Anchor, a general store inspired by two food-loving ladies with an equal affection for urban life, the sea, and the agricultural paradise of Long Island's North Fork. The store is situated in a growing community of farmers and winemakers and will become a meeting place offering prepared foods, a variety of sun-dries, and a selection of homespun products, many of which will have their origins in New York State. Your backing will help them fulfill their dream of fostering relationships with the community and making the local food system accessible on a broader scale. Search kickstarter.com for Fork and Anchor and donate today.